Hello and welcome to the Garden History Podcast. My name's Adverley Richmond and I'm a garden, landscape and social historian. On the Garden History Podcast, I will be taking you through my A to Z of garden history based on the people, plants, places, features and ideas which you might find in and around the subject of garden history. Today is the letter L for Lex Hortorum or the Law of Gardens. We all love to visit private gardens of all shapes and sizes. In many cases, we have to pay to enter whether it's for a charitable cause or purely for the benefit of topping up the owner's coffers. So it may come as a surprise to many of you to find that some of the most iconic private Italian Renaissance gardens were free and public spaces right from the outset. And this unfettered access was guaranteed by the concept of the Lex Hortorum, or the Law of Gardens. The Lex Hortorum was a Latin inscription displayed on a tablet at the entrance of the garden and it usually gave the name of the garden owner followed by a message of assurance. Now the principle behind this sign was the idea that gardens were created not only for the personal enjoyment of the owner, their family and friends, but also for the delight of strangers as long as they remained respectful. So where might this idea have come from? Well, in the mid to late 15th century, garden making had been stimulated by the villeggiatura, a home in the countryside or on the hills surrounding the city of Rome. After the inward-looking medieval stance, these hillside positions were a means of looking outward, both physically and intellectually. And in this rebirth or renaissance, the garden became a place for social and intellectual activity. One of the earliest examples of the Lex Hortorum in Renaissance Rome was in the grounds of Cardinal Carafa's villa, which was located in the Quirinal Hill, one of the seven hills of Rome. The Cardinal's villa had been around since at least 1483, and a contemporary visitor in 1510 recorded that the vineyard and gardens were decorated with many epigrams, and one of which declared that the dutiful Cardinal Oliviera Carafa, illustrious offspring of learned Naples, dedicates this villa of continuous salubrity to all his friends and guests. Another early example of a garden embracing the Lex Hortorum was the hanging garden and sculpture court of Cardinal Andrea della Valle. The gardens had been created from the 1520s and he had extended the concept to include not only his friends but all Romans and strangers. Several inscriptions were mounted on the garden walls indicating to the public the purpose of his statue court garden. So when the public entered, they were informed, amongst other things, that the garden was in memory of their ancestors and for the emulation of their descendants. And as a garden full of antiquities, 
it was also to be used as an aid to painters and poets. Now, this last inscription is really interesting because the freedom of access would have inspired copious amounts of literature and enabled artists to capture these gardens and their features for posterity. By the second half of the 16th century, the privilege of free access to Roman gardens had become a local tradition, leading to the provision of a separate public entrance. The accompanying inscriptions reinforced the message of people's freedom to promenade and take the air within the confines of these gardens. But surely the owners must have craved their own space away from prying eyes, I hear you cry. The answer was the Giardino Segreto, or the secret garden, which was an enclosed space and the preserve of the owner, his very close friends and family, away from the hoi polloi. These Giardini Segreti were havens for private contemplation and tranquillity, where the owner often displayed their prized exotics, such as lilies, violets and irises. This space could only be reached directly from a private room within the villa. Now, the majority of the garden creators at that time were from the papal aristocracy, who as princes of the church were determined to showcase their vast wealth, their unrivaled power and at times their dubiously acquired treasures. As the garden designs became more elaborate, large collections of Roman antiquities were amassed in order to convey the increasingly popular but carefully devised iconographic programmes which could be decoded as the visitor moved through the garden. This access for all enabled elements of Rome's cultural heritage to be displayed and shared within these gardens. Inevitably, the idea spread further afield as the years passed by, but perhaps its sincerity became somewhat diminished. In Tuscany, Cardinal Flavio Chigi, also known as the Amorous Cardinal, created the gardens at the Villa Centinale from 1676. The inscription on the garden wall speaks volumes. It read, Whoever you are who approach, that which may seem horrible to you is pleasing to me. If you like it, stay. If it bores you, go away. Each is equally agreeable to me. This idea of the Lex Hortorum was frequently remarked upon by foreign visitors because in other parts of Europe, access to private parks and gardens was possible but often uncertain, with many having dress codes which effectively excluded much of the population. In 18th century Britain, most admissions were obtained by letters of introduction, timed tickets on certain days or simply by bribing servants and gardeners. But by the early 19th century, the ease of access to English gardens had lessened even more, because in July 1828, the German nobleman, Prince Puckler Muscal, found himself unable to gain access into Fonthill Abbey. And this led him to complain bitterly about what he called the illiberality of modern Englishmen 
who shut up their estates and gardens more closely than we do our sitting rooms. Nevertheless, back in Italy, nearly 400 years after its inception, the strength of the Lex Hortorum was to be tested and it proved very advantageous for the people of Rome. In May 1885, Prince Marcantonio Borghese ordered the gates of his Roman villa to be closed to the public, who had routinely used the grounds for walking and riding. Borghese had planned to sell part of his estate to building developers, but the mayor of Rome, Duke Leopoldo Torlonia, stepped in on behalf of the city and made an appeal to the courts. In June, the city won the right for the public to retain the free access that they had previously enjoyed for centuries, and to add insult to injury, the prince had to pay the court costs. Now, the courts cited several reasons for their decision, all of them very pertinent, but the most significant was the enormous marble inscription which had been located for many years by the park entrance, and it read... I, custodian of the Villa Borghese, proclaim the following. Whoever you are, if you are a free man, do not fear the hindrance of regulations. Go where you will, ask what you desire, leave when you wish. These delights have been created more for visitors than for the owner. But if someone with deliberate conscious evil intent breaks the golden laws of civility... Be careful lest the custodian tear up the card of friendship. Undaunted, the prince launched a further appeal in 1887, and again he failed. The matter was only finally resolved in 1901, when the state purchased the park, the villa and its entire art collection. In 1903, the gardens were redesigned in the English landscape style and the whole site was presented to the city of Rome as a park and museum. Today, it is the third largest public park in Rome. The Lex Hortorum is a fascinating concept, and it could be argued that this law of gardens was a prototype for the bylaws which govern our public parks and spaces today. I am indebted to Mr David R Coffin for his insightful research back in 1982. You can see an image of the Villa Centinale's inscription, as well as the Renaissance Gardens as the Villa Borghese, on my podcast page at adfly.co.uk. You may also like to have a look at my pinned tweet at adfleyr, where you can see some of the features that I originally covered. Thank you for listening to the Garden History Podcast and please join me again for the next episode. Until then, thank you and goodbye.